You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Now open Holy Scripture to our readings for this afternoon, the readings that are in connection with Lord's Day 47. First from the Old Testament, 1 Kings 8, 22-43. Context of this reading, of course, is that Solomon has built the temple and it is being dedicated to the service of the Lord. Listen to God's word. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath, and he comes and swears the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on his own head what he has done. Declare the innocent not guilty, and so establish his innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven, And forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, 
And when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart and spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with each man according to all he does, since you know his heart. For you alone know the hearts of all men, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our fathers. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. We also go to the New Testament for a reading from John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. 
They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This afternoon we're looking at God's word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 47, the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first of all that we may rightly know thee and sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works, in which shine forth thy almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, so it finally happened. During this past week, we got our first snow. I can imagine that some of us had been hoping for this, maybe even praying for it. I can imagine that some of us, especially those who are students, were praying for lots of it. Maybe you're still praying for lots of it. And the bottom line is that when it comes to the weather, all you can do is hope and pray. You can't control how much snow falls from the sky You can't control how fast the wind blows. Those are things that only God can control. We can pray about them, but as human beings, there's nothing we can do. You know, there are other things where we pray about them, but then there's also something we can do about them. In other words, there are things that go on in the world, like the weather, that God has direct control over. But there are other things that go on in the world that God still has complete control over. Nothing is out of his hands, but he uses means, he uses instruments to exercise that control. In the case of the first petition, hallowed be your name, we are the means. We are the instruments that God uses to make his name appear more holy in the world. We pray that God's name be hallowed, but then there's also something of our actions involved with that. And for that reason, when we pray for the hallowing of God's name, we're also asking for his help, asking for his help in the actions that this petition involves. And in this way, the character of prayer becomes clear once again. Prayer is not about bringing a wish list, a wish list to some divine Santa Claus. 
in the scriptures, and this is reflected in the catechism, prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Prayer is about our sanctification. Remember, sanctification, right? The definition of that, the process of becoming more and more who we are in Christ. Now, prayer is not about us twisting God's arm. Prayer is about God changing and transforming our lives through His power. Through prayer, we become more and more focused on God. We become more and more focused on His glory. Through prayer, we become more dependent upon Him, looking to Him daily in faith for everything we need for body and soul. And the Lord Jesus teaches us that the priority in our prayers, the first thing, has to be a desire to see God lifted up. And further, this, is, this desire that we have is going to translate into action once we get off our knees. So I preach to you the word this afternoon with this theme, the Lord teaches us to pray for the holiness of God's name. And this petition involves praise to God from us, and second of all, because of us. Well, first of all, praise to God from us. The Lord Jesus taught us to pray for the hallowing of God's name. Let's just stop here for a minute. Let's think about the meaning of that word, hallow. That's an old, old word. A word that we don't really use besides using it in the Lord's Prayer. Even in the old King James Version, the word hallow was only used in the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. I think it probably passed into the NIV simply out of respect for traditional church language, the usage of the church. But the meaning of this word, I'd venture to say it's not very well known. Well, it's related to the word holy, both in English and in Greek. To hallow means to make something holy. And in case you've forgotten, when we make something holy, what we're doing is we're setting it apart for a special use. In this case, we're making God's name holy. And in the Bible, God's name stands for who He is and what He does. In fact, you can say God's name is God Himself. Now, thinking about that, the question naturally comes up. Can we really make God's name, can we make God himself, holy? Can we do that? Isn't he already holy? Isn't he already glorious? That's a good question. The answer is in that we cannot make him more holy. We cannot make him more glorious than he already is. All creatures can do is simply make His glory and holiness more apparent in the world. You know, it's like driving through the mountains and your windows start fogging up. Well, the glory of the mountains is still there. And when you turn on the defroster, the windows clear up and look, you can see the glory of the mountains again. So we're praying to be a kind of defroster so that God's glory would be more and more visible. The Catechism teaches us that praying for God's name to be made holy involves two things. 
The first thing is that we would rightly know God and all His works and so also praise Him for them. Knowing God, that is the key to eternal life. Christ said it in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God. That means being in a relationship of intimacy with Him. It doesn't refer to knowing about God so much as it does living close to God. And of course, if if you're living close to someone, living intimately with them, you also, you, you naturally know lots about them. And you want to know lots about them. But the emphasis here is on the relationship. But the Catechism speaks of knowing God in a special way. Knowing God in His works. Those works in which God's almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth shine forth. A lot of years ago, I went to the beach at Lake Whatcom, just across the border in Washington State. Along with some friends and family, we spent the day relaxing and swimming. We had a radio along with to keep us company. At some point, we had a little competition. We would listen to the song on the radio... And we would see who could guess the artist first. Maybe you've done something like that too. Well, with this little competition, we had to concentrate. We had to listen hard. Sometimes we would recognize the artist right away. He or she had a distinctive voice or or the song was well known. Other times it took a little, little longer to figure it out. Maybe we didn't figure it out at all. Well, look at God as being the artist of all creation. We have to concentrate. We have to keep our eyes open for His works. And when we see the distinctive works of His hands, it doesn't matter where, we praise Him. Now sometimes that can be easy. Many other times it takes work. It takes concentrated effort. It can be very easy to start looking at the world as something that's disconnected from God. That's why we need to pray for His help, brothers and sisters. We need to constantly ask Him to work in our hearts so that we do indeed look for Him. And then when we look, we also recognize Him around us, His works. And we praise Him for what we see. After all, we're disciples of the Lord Jesus, aren't we? And because we're disciples... Because we're grafted into Christ as branches are into a vine, we're going to bear fruit. We find the Lord Jesus teaching us this in in John 15. He says in John 15, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Being a disciple of the Lord Jesus means that we're all about bearing fruit, to the glory of God the Father. And part of this bearing fruit to praise is keeping our eyes open for His fingerprints on the world. Let's take a practical example. We're a congregation of believers. And as such, we can expect to see God's fingerprints in our lives and and in the lives of others. He's here. 
He's working with His Holy Spirit. Do we look for that work? Or do we concentrate on all the negative things that are only too easy to find? When we look at our our brothers and sisters around us, do we see God's almighty power at work? Do we see His wisdom, His goodness, His righteousness, His mercy and truth? Of course, with sinful human beings, we're not going to see these things perfectly. There may even be hypocrites in our midst in whom these things are barely, if at all, reflected. But as one of your pastors, I can assure you that God is working here. I see His work, and I praise Him for it every day. All of us should strive to see God's works among us and and then bear the fruit of giving praise to God, setting Him apart as worthy of our praise and thanks. Dust those fingerprints of your Father and let them be seen clearly so that everyone will praise Him with you. So praying to God for help in this is the first aspect of the first petition. And we know that we need God's help in this, don't we? Remember what the Lord Jesus said in John 15.5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Even to see God's works, we need God's help. To praise God for His works, we need His help. Without His Spirit and power in our lives, we would remain dead in sin and darkness. Though we've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we still have remaining sin and remaining weakness in our lives. The temptation is there to to lose focus on on the glory of God's name. The temptation is there to become focused instead on self-glorification. In other words, pride. These temptations and there are many more of them, are all the more reason to call out for His help in hallowing His name. Without His help, we're helpless. We also need His help in bringing praise to Him because of us. And that's our second point this afternoon. Do people praise God because of us? Or is it more the case that people make no connection between who God is and who we are and what we do? Those are good questions to think about. Catechism teaches us from Scripture that the second aspect of the first petition is that we're praying for God's name to be honored and praised because of us. In that connection, we pray that He would help us to direct our lives in a way that praise for God is the result. Catechism mentions the word blasphemy. And when it does that, our thoughts go right away to the third commandment. There's a direct connection between that commandment, the third commandment, and the first petition. What we're really praying for here is that we would never blaspheme God, but instead always praise Him. Let's think for a moment about how that works with those three things that are mentioned in the Catechism. Thoughts, words, and actions. Well, first with our thoughts. How could God's name be blasphemed because of our thoughts? Usually our thoughts are private. No one can look into our minds and and really know what we're thinking. You know, our thoughts do affect the way we live. To a certain extent, 
People can see what's going on inside our heads from our lifestyle taken as a whole. When our lifestyle reflects poorly on our Christian confession, we may lead others to blaspheme God's name. After all, as Christians, we bear the name of Christ. So what we pray for is that our thoughts would be ordered in such a way that they can be seen in a Christian walk of life. Of course, there's going to be inconsistencies. But what we pray for is growth. We pray for improvement. We pray that others inside and and outside the church will praise God for what our lives reveal about our thoughts. The second thing is with our words. Now we have to remember here that we're thinking about others blaspheming or praising God because of our words. This is not about us actually blaspheming God with our words. The question is, what could we say that would lead others to blaspheme God's name? Now, I think a full answer to that question could take up its own sermon. So I'm just going to mention a couple of examples. We could go to work. Work with unbelievers, people from who don't go to our church, and we could go there and we could complain about the church to those we work with. Oh, you wouldn't believe that church that I go to. Da, 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 da. That could lead people to speak badly about God. That could lead people to speak badly about God's works here among us. That's blaspheming God's name. Another example. We could talk with with unbelievers in a way that denies or minimizes that there's any difference between them and us. We use the same words. We talk about the same things and so on. In doing this, we lead them to say or maybe think, oh, sure, you know, he goes to church on Sunday. He, he won't come into work on Sunday. But really, when it comes down to it, he's not really that different from me. What's happening when somebody says that? They're essentially saying that God is not really at work in our lives. Gain. That is blasphemy of God's name. Remember, God's name is not just a name. It's about His work. When others belittle, minimize, or deny His work because of us, that is blasphemy, brothers and sisters. We should pray that others, inside and outside the church, would praise God for what comes out of our mouths, the words that come off our tongues, that they would never be able to deny His works in our lives, and so blaspheme Him. The final thing the Catechism mentions is our actions. Here too, we could live in such a way that that others would not see God at work in us at all. Many examples could be given here as well. But I think you get the point. We have to be conscientious. We have to be careful about the way we live. Because others are watching us. And when others watch, something will happen to the degree to which God's name appears to be something special, something holy. Either our lives will be the defroster that clears the view of God's glory, or we will be breathing brokenness so hot and heavy that the window is clouded with condensation. Brothers and sisters, Pray 
to be the one who clears the view so that all around us see the majesty of our God, see the majesty of our Creator. Here we can think back to what happened with King Solomon in 1 Kings 8. He built the temple, a place of worship. The temple was to be the place where the name of God lived. So also the place where God himself symbolically had his home. When the temple was dedicated, Solomon made this long prayer that we find in 1 Kings 8. Towards the end of that part that we read, Solomon begins speaking to the Lord about the foreigners. There were foreigners or sojourners who lived among God's people in those days. Solomon anticipates that these and perhaps others would come to worship the Lord in the temple. They would have heard about His name. They would have heard about how great God is and how great the deeds that He's done are. Solomon asked God to hear their prayer. Why? Well, verse 43 says it, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Solomon built the temple so that God's name would be made known as something special, not just in Israel, not just in this little corner of the earth, but through the whole world. And brothers and sisters, today, we are collectively and individually the temple of the Holy Spirit. God makes His dwelling with us. Today, you and I are the place where the name of God lives. And He does that so that His name will be made known as something special among us, but also in all the earth. And that has to be our prayer. But it also has to be our desire. God works with what lives in our wills and desires. Now, I mentioned the snow in the introduction. You can pray for snow, but there's nothing you can do to make it snow. You can pray for the snow to stop, but there's nothing you can do to make it stop. But what we have here in the first petition is something different. We pray for the hallowing of God's name. But we can't then just stand back and say, okay, let's watch and see if it'll happen or not. This is clear again when we remember that God's name is already holy. John Calvin put it in a very neat way. He said, God's name breathes pure glory. It's a sinful, broken humanity that clouds the glory. And God uses instruments or tools to clear away the fog so that people see Him for who He really is, the God of glory. And so when we pray, we're asking to be God's instruments. Now what kind of sense would it make to pray to be God's instrument and then just sit back in your lazy boy and, and see if it'll happen? We pray the prayer, but our wills also have to come into conformity with what God wants. Our lives, our actions also have to come into conformity with what God wants. After all, don't we want that? Don't we want to see His glory being more and more recognized? Then, of course, the very thing we pray for, we're also going to be involved with personally. 
And in that way, we also see the connection again between prayer and sanctification. The thing we desire, we pray for. The thing we pray for, we also, by God's Spirit working in us, we will and move ourselves to bring to reality. And then we also realize our own weakness. And again, we're driven to prayer for the thing we desire. The connection between prayer and sanctification lies in our endless dependence upon God for our life, for our breath, for everything that we have, everything that we are. Without Him, we are nothing. Without Him, we can do nothing. That's why we pray for His help, also when it comes to hallowing His name. God and His glory, they come first in the Lord's Prayer. And so it should be in all our prayers. Not necessarily in order, don't have to be legalistic about it, but definitely in attitude and approach. Now many of us love the, the first question and answer of the Catechism dearly. I'm sure that many of us still have it memorized. But you know, there's another Reformed Catechism which has a first question and answer which is equally worthy of being memorized. So Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, it's not difficult to memorize and, and it's very rich in meaning. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God created us for the purpose of giving Him more praise and honor. Making His praise and His glory more apparent in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the first petition to keep that in mind and to pray for God's help in that. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.